Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, this is Phil Stevens. I run Strength Guild. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, coach, and a bunch of other stuff. Hi, it's Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm an exercise physiologist and teacher and like lifting heavy stuff. Right on. Hey, uh, we are coming to you through uh, the Pamela recording system. I've had some people make comments about the audio quality. So we've got some new audio equipment, but as we uh, fuss with this, we're going to go back to using Pamela like we did about a year or two ago. So it's not CD quality, but um, hopefully it will be acceptable. Anyway, um, we've got some news, and then we're going to actually talk politics just a little bit uh, in the topic of the day. I know it's a taboo subject, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, the two bits of news that I have were just some interesting articles that I saw on um, Mercola.com. Strength and Muscle Sport News. And I check my references when I read this stuff, and I, I would suggest that you do as well, listeners. But it's an interesting um, venue to go get exposed to what I would call theories. You know, they're evidence-based theories, but uh, they're not fully uh, evidenced in some ways. And I'll tell you what I mean in just a minute. Um, these... I think are relevant, though, to lifters or people who are interested in their body composition. This first one is from November 12th, uh, 2014, of course. Five surprising factors that make you pack on pounds, it's called. Now, he, you know, he starts off with the disturbing body fat statistics in the U.S. You know how two-thirds of us or more are overweight or obese. In fact, I believe it's higher than that now. The last conference I was at, it was 72%. So it just keeps creeping up, you know, and... I actually spoke to a physician once, and he said, if you draw the line out, if it doesn't change, uh, 90% of us are going to be overweight or obese by 2020. So that's just wow. outrageous to me. So something is going on, right? And so this is where this comes in. Now, he talks about child obesity, how it's tripled since I was a kid, and all that sort of stuff. So he talks about uh, a recent article by an investigative health reporter, Martha Rosenberg, now, not to find fault initially, but again, I checked the source, and the source of this investigative health report is Alternet. Uh, it's a website. I'm not particularly familiar with it, but I think we need to be careful when we start using uh, journalists as our source of evidence. You know, this isn't a scientific paper. <laughs> it's just, it, it could be cherry picked data. You know, it may not be as balanced. Um, so consider the source, I'll just say that. But if we look at this like an interesting theory, get this. It says, contrary to popular belief, obesity is not simply the result of eating too many calories and not exercising enough. The idea here is that overuse of antibiotics and obesity are 
closely linked. Uh, so what he's suggesting is because we're getting more and more evidence that your microbiome, right, the bacteria in your large intestines, uh, they produce compounds that affect your physiology. You know, there's this concept that you're not just one thing. In fact, most of your DNA is probably not even yours. And you have to think of your body almost like the Osmosis Jones cartoon. Remember that movie, anybody? But the whole point being is it's, you know, you're a collection of uh, living things working in a symbiotic relationship. So it says beneficial bacteria are crucial to your health. And again, we've talked about this before from Science Friday, and I've pointed you to some researchers that are actually the guys doing this. But it says there's a growing acknowledgement of the fact that we can't be healthy without a participation of a vast array of uh, beneficial microbes. And unfortunately, antibiotic exposure is what he's presenting here. Uh, is really ruining us and adding to our obesity problem. So it says the U.S. uses nearly 30 million pounds of antibiotics every year to raise food animals, and that's like 80% of the antibiotics in the U.S. Mm. So he's suggesting that most of our antibiotics, it's not just the Z-packs you take when you're crushed with the flu mm -hmm. or you know some kind mm. of bacterial infection, but it's through the diet that we're getting so much of these antibiotics, and they're killing our good bacteria, and then we, we're fighting a losing battle. Uh, because I've actually seen data before where uh, before they started doing human fecal transplants and all of this uh, kind of strange treatments, there were rodent studies where they fed one group of rodents a junk food diet, and then they took all of the fecal matter you know, out of their large intestines. They put it in lean animals, and those lean animals got fat. And that's very disturbing. That's very strong evidence that the kind of bacteria that you're growing in your natural terrarium down there uh, affects your health. So he says, Mercola here, according to data analyzed by journalist uh, Marin McKenna, the states with the highest levels of antibiotic overuse also have the worst health, hmm. including the highest rates of obesity. So um, it's just an interesting theory, I think, at this point. Uh, but something that struck me was we had Danny Sugar on the show a couple of months ago, and she had made a comment. I think it was on Twitter, and she said, I'm not anti-carb. I'm not anti-fat. I'm anti-shit, you know, when it comes to my diet, you know, anti-shit food. And I think this may be the mechanism by which that philosophy works. You know what I'm saying? It's not just counting the calories. But when she's purposely not going for the really crappy, you know, French fries and Big Macs and, and washing it down with sugary Cokes, you know what I mean? She's actually, by choosing healthier foods, uh, less processed foods, she's actually cultivating her microbiome, you know, mm -hmm. to behave better and therefore be leaner. So there may really be something to that. Now, she didn't talk about that as a mechanism, but... That may, in fact, be the truth. You know, if antibiotic overuse is a problem and your microbiome is a bigger reason than we thought for your body fat level, then, you know, maybe she's on to mm -hmm. something there. I mean, well, of course she is. I mean, let's face it. Bodybuilders have eaten clean for years. Oats and vegetables and eggs and chicken breasts and, you know, the, those sorts of things. But isn't it interesting that it's not just the calorie balance, that, but it could, in fact, be the microbiome in your, your natural terrarium that you're cultivating. Mm -hmm. you, know? Know. <clears throat> you were talking about fecal transplants, and the, the rat study you mentioned was, was very interesting, and 
a researcher I had talked to when I was presenting at the <clears throat> Ancestral Health Society Symposium like two years ago, she was saying that the you know use of probiotics and that type of thing may not actually change the gut biome on a permanent basis, that like a fecal transplant may be the only way to permanently alter that. Um, but she said that probiotics and things of that nature sort of run on top of the existing sort of culture that yes. you have there so that they you know, do seem to generate some definite positive effects. Um, but I think it's debatable about how much of that we can change over time, which always makes me think back to, you know, early neurology stuff too, right? Because for years we said, oh, your, your brain doesn't really change much at all. You know, neurons are just fixed. And, you know, after, you know, once you're older, and then what we find out is the direct opposite of that. You know, now we know that you know, neuroplasticity is huge and your brain has this amazing ability to change. And I've often wondered if we'll kind of come to the same you know, roundabout conclusion with the gut bacteria and that type of thing, too. So who knows? Yeah, we reported uh, uh, months ago uh, after I was following up on a Science Friday interview with one of those researchers. And he was saying the same thing, that you don't completely rewrite yeah. your gut biome. You simply encourage... Uh, populations of the good stuff to rise, you know, and they have some crosstalk with your existing biome, and that's probably a more realistic mechanism by which this works. And I think if you look at the internet, it seems like they make it look like everybody you could completely uh, rewrite, you know, your what kind of bacteria are in your gut, and I don't think you can do that either. So it sounds like we're hearing the same thing. Yeah, and yeah. we also know that a lot of the you know, hormones that are related to, you know, appetite and satiety and all that kind of stuff are manufactured in the gut. And there's this huge connection between your gut and your brain. So it may yeah. be something that particular things are driving you to possibly unconsciously eat more, too. You know, so it may not, you know, register as much either. Right. No, that makes sense. It's not just, right, some magical fat burning effect. Right. <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah, it's driving your... uh your ability to eat, yeah. you know, and from, you know what, let's face it, from a weight gain perspective, that could be something that could be helpful too. You know what sure. I mean? If, if you're a power lifter and you're, or a bodybuilder and you're off season, you're trying to gain weight. Yeah. These things, they really do influence your behavior. It makes sense. Uh, the other thing I have here is also from Mercola. Again, I just saw both of these and I thought these are, they're sort of reinforcing some of the, uh, you know, the really so solid science that I've been looking at, but, this one is um, surprising ways in which fast food and its packaging harm your health. This is November 5th. Uh, so this one, instead of looking at antibiotics wreaking havoc on your gut biome, this is about um, endocrine disruptors. So we've heard about these before, but, you know, they're common chemicals that basically they disrupt your hormone function. Uh, a lot of times estrogen is one of the mechanisms, you know, with some of these xenoestrogens, you know, they're not natural estrogen in your body, but they have estrogen-like effects. And so this article is talking about how that has a big impact. It says endocrine disruptors like BPA, right, bisphenol A from plastics can mimic natural hormones or whatnot. And it says, according to a new study, and I went and actually looked because I don't think most people go look at the reference list, but this is from the from PLOS One. It's a Public Library of Science, October 2014. So it really is a study. According to a new study, people who used hand sanitizer then touched a cash register receipt 
and then ate French fries, were quickly exposed to high levels of BPA, a chemically widely used to coat receipt paper. <laughs> so, so I went and looked at the study and, uh, <laughs> uh, check this out. This is the actual uh, paper. You could go to, uh, plos1.org and find this, but it says, um, Regulatory agencies estimate that virtually all BPA exposure is from food and beverage packaging. I think we kind of know that. Mm -hmm. However, free BPA is applied to the outer layer of thermal paper on receipts <laughs> in, uh, in very high quantities. It says, uh, not taken into account when considering thermal paper as a source of BPA contamination um, is that a lot of commonly used hand sanitizers and other skin products have mixtures of dermal penetration enhancing chemicals mm. oh, wow. and that those increase up to a hundred fold the dermal absorption of compounds like bpa <laughs> you know you know phil you were saying just the other week we were talking about um dmso yeah. Yeah. and you're like you know i don't want to there's there's stuff i don't want crossing <laughs> my skin you yeah. know uh but to think that hand sanitizers not in lotions and that sort of thing uh they make you vulnerable you know you lose that armor of your yeah. of your skin uh and yeah and this is real this is from plus one uh october 22nd 2014 so um it's one of those things like wow i didn't really think about yeah. that you know and then it goes on to say that uh endocrine disruptors pl do play a role in obesity and he actually cites um the journal of toxicological sciences it's an old older 2003 paper but it's a legitimate paper and how these endocrine disruptors do play a role in your body fatness. Uh, and then he goes on to, you know, suggest that obesity can't be explained solely by alterations in food intake, you know, calorie intake or changes in exercise and calorie output. So that's what I'm bringing to everybody's attention today, I guess, is it, uh, some evidence, but, you know, maybe theoretical at this point, but some evidence based theories that endocrine disruptors and antibiotics and your gut microbiome all these things are driving body fatness because, again, it's got to be curious to anybody who looks around why we're so fat, you know, in the U.S. Because there's a lot of uh, a lot of body fatness going around. So <laughs> anyway. I'll just keep telling them, no, I don't want my receipt. Throw it out. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Sure. Don't use the, uh, the Purell and then reach for a receipt. Yeah. Makes you wonder about looking at the cashiers if they got a big container of Purell next to them. Yeah. What their body weight is. Yeah. Oh, imagine yeah. their exposure. Yeah. yeah. All day, right? Yeah. They'd be like obese, feminized, <laughs> <laughs> train wreck. Wow. <laughs> anyway, so, all right. Uh, that's all I've got in news. Phil, anything from the industry side or anything going on with you? No, I mean, the only thing's going on right now is there's, a, you know, Olympic Weightlifting World Championships is going on. So you got a lot of world records and stuff going down. The Chinese are, of course, kicking butt. Um, <laughs> a new snatch world record. And what did he snatch? I think he snatched 170 uh, at like 65 kilo body weight. Wow. So, um, and then a girl just clean and jerked 315. And she was only... Jeez, she was 130 pounds or something like that. Oh, oh the Chinese God. girls. So, um, yeah, so lots of fun big lifts going on there. Um, it's going to be fun to see the heavier weight classes. You know, it goes slowly, but um, that's where the Russians start stepping up. You know, the Chinese kick butt early, and then the Russians come in late. Um, I don't just don't think they make Asians that big. 
Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting <laughs> to see if they can ever host. They got one girl that's a heavyweight that, you know, is damn good. But it'll be, it'll be interesting if, if the Asians ever like get one of their guys to weigh 240. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and what he'll be able to do. Um, no, and then, the, you know, the big GPA world is coming up. You, you get to see like Lily just did, uh, or Lillibridge just did like a 900 for three back squat. Oh, jeez. Um, Derek Kendall front squatted 834 with no wraps, no, you know, just a belt. Front squat? Yeah. Wow. So I looked, I tried to look that up, like if there was a front squat world record, and the, the highest thing I could find was a guy claimed to have the world record at like 783 pounds. So if that's wow. true, then he just killed that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. But other than that, man, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on there. There was the big meet at Mark Bell's place a couple of weeks ago and, you know, things like that. But You know, we're always talking about genetics, you know, for success in sports. Mm-hmm. When you t- When you talk about stuff like that, numbers like that, I would think just having the genetics to have thick tendons with broad attachments to the bones that don't rip free, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's got to be like an advantage. You know what I mean? Because it's not just muscular strength, but if I put anywhere near those numbers on my back, it, it, my tendons would tear right off my bones. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even if my muscles could write the check, my tendons wouldn't be able to cash it. You yeah. know, And I think those guys, they're so thickly built uh, it's not just like the bodybuilder with little joints thing, mm-hmm. but you know the genetics that I think that drive them to the top is the ability not to uh, be injured and just tear free the tendons. Yeah, I I don't know. You'd think. Now I know a lot of that comes with training, of course, as well. But well, yeah. I don't know. We were talking about this. I mean, I don't know how much like the Chinese success is. A lot of it's the population. Yeah, a um, lot of people to put from. Yeah, they have such a huge pool of athletes that it makes it easier. Um. And I don't know how much of it is just their lifestyle. I mean, you look at their lifestyle and it like feeds into the, uh, into weightlifting. And, you know, they sit in a frickin' rock bottom squat. You yeah. Know? I mean, their dinner tables are on the floor and oh. things like that. So their lifestyle, whereas ours doesn't, you know, our biggest thing is finding people mobile enough for the sport. Cause that's a big uh-huh. thing. I mean, if you're not mobile enough, it's like, well, sorry, dude, you're not going to excel in the sport. Um, mm-hmm. And they're levers, you know, they're genetic levers. I mean, they, they're generally short-limbed people. Yep. Um, they're, they're, they're shorter in stature overall. So, um, I mean, I think a lot of that feeds into it too, but, um, I don't know. Yeah. The biggest is probably just the amount of, it is a sport over there, you know, so you get, when you have a million athletes to choose from, it's a lot easier to put up 15 or 20 good ones. Yeah. So, right, right. So. Yeah. Believe it or not, that's going to tie into our topic, uh, regarding politics because i want to talk about politics outside and inside the gym and one of the things that i see lately a real trend and i bet you guys can mirror this but is that we have um more i don't know if you want to call them wannabe or hopeful olympic lifters now and they have they have this sort of i'm an athlete you're not mentality going Mm -hmm. and it creates an interesting sort of uh you know intercultural dynamic when they interface with the bodybuilders and the powerlifters. You know what I mean? So it's that athleticism. Uh, like, you know, I'm trying to get to the frickin' squat rack, and they're so busy <laughs> trying to do do snatches and stuff that right next to it. You know what I mean? And that never used to be an issue. And I don't know, I guess CrossFit's played a role in that. But anyway, we'll get to that stuff. But um, it, like you were saying, it's um, it is a sport. And, you know, you don't normally, a lot of Ma and Pa bodybuilding gyms, you didn't see that many, uh, 
athletes like that, mm-hmm. or people trying to do performance-based stuff that, that's very skill-oriented, I guess. Yeah. A- anyway, uh, so let's go to break before we drift into this any further. We'll come back. Uh, I'll tell you why this topic popped up at all, but we'll talk about politics in the gym. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press and protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. I can't stop feeling Some of us don't understand How lucky we are To be living in this Hi listeners, this is Rob Fortress Fortney I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches And your thoughts turn to giving We like you to keep Iron Rating in your thoughts Every week for four years now It's been our privilege to bring you Weekly news, experts, and gym talk Did you know that now Roughly 20,000 brothers and sisters of Iron Count on us for these things? Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org, and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, 
we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everybody, we are back. It's Lonnie and Phil and Mike Nelson. And we're going to, believe it or not, talk politics in the gym. Uh, I know that it's a taboo issue, but it came up in part because um, we have an old chalkboard back in the power room at Pep's Gym, uh, where I train bodybuilders in Akron, Ohio. And um, there's all this graffiti written all over it. I mean, maybe I'll show you. I actually snapped a pic of it. I'll put it. For those of you who get the um, app, the Iron Radio app, you'll you'll be able to see that. But it really made me think about something that we've never really touched on before, because politics affects, um, well, like let's face it, like licensure and state laws. I mean, if you do something in healthcare, whether it's nutrition, you know, uh, or a lot of the things that we deal with, uh, insurance coverage, you know, and those sorts of things, politics do in fact affect. Uh, what happens to us in the gym. So I've just got a couple of questions to bounce off of uh, uh, Phil and Mike. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first one is for when it comes to not getting sued, when it comes to operating within your scope of practice, that sort of thing, does politics ever come up to, with you guys in the gym at all? I mean, we in a lot of ways, I think the fitness industry probably operates outside of state laws. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's, a lot of it does. It depends on where you're at. But, yeah, I, I think largely it does. Um, you know, because, well, for example, it, it, some political factions are going to be very interested in regulation, mm-hmm. you know, and other ones are like, no, no, free market. No, I was just going to say, sadly, I mean, when it comes to coaches and, and working with the body, I think it largely comes down to your own ethical standards. Personal, mm-hmm. you know. And, like, there's a lot of stuff that I won't do. Like, I, I'll only, as far as nutrition, I mean, I'll help people out and tell them, you know, eat real food. Um, I, but, yeah. and even as far as, like, the latest thing now that I see that annoys the hell out of me is all this tissue manipulation mm-hmm. that, that coaches are doing that have no yes. schooling in it. And yes. I won't touch it. And it's like, no, it's not. They're like, because they're doing all this, you know, wrapping joints and stuff. You're seeing that's becoming big. Um and people ask me to do it, and it's like, no, I'm not going to do it to you. I'm not schooled in that. I don't have, you know, the licensure and, and right. things. It's like if I screw you up, you know, it's my fault. And there's a lot of coaches doing that crap. And it's just, that's just maybe, I mean, I might be behind a little bit because some coaches will do that. But it, my own ethical standards is like, no, I can't. You know, I haven't gone to school for that and. I'm not going to do it. No. That's even partly true, I think, with the functional movement screens and stuff. I see mm-hmm. some strength coaches, they get into this, and, I mean, that's something physical therapists do. Yeah. You know, and that's a doctorate yes, now. Yes, exactly. You know, and so uh, sometimes I, I think that's actually responsible, yeah. right? You have the, enough respect to make a referral yep. uh, when it's something that's actually regulated. Exactly. Uh, yeah, nutrition, movement screens, and again, I'm not saying... No strength coach can do some type of basic functional mm-hmm. movement screen, but if you start getting into serious pathologies and stuff, it's time to make a frickin' referral. Yeah, I mean, you know. I can make good guesses. You know, I'm I'm educated enough to guess, but um, and help you out. But 
man, I'm not, I'm not that schooled in it, you know. Right. So. Well, now let's take this to the next question, which is about dietary supplement regulation. Now, uh, Republican, I, I can't remember his name now. Mike, do you remember who was the Republican that really sort of laid down Deshay and championed the dietary supplement health ed? Was act? it Durbin? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, it may have been. I think it but was, the, but I could be the wrong. The point on that. being is. Well, that's one of those things where you can see flip sides of the coin here, where on one side, you know, maybe some listeners like the Democrat approach, like health care for everybody. Well, you know, Obamacare, hey, there's lots of controversy there, you know. Uh, but on the supplement side, if we are to assume that the general idea of one of the part of the you know Republican platform is less regulation, I think that's what allows us to have uh, the variety of supplements we have in the states that they do not have in Europe mm-hmm. or Canada. Do you think that's accurate? Yeah, I'll go. I would say that I, I think it is. And if you look at just how the supplement industry has expanded um, since then, I mean, massive, you know, huge amounts of growth and that type of stuff. And, you know, some places in Europe, even high amounts of vitamin C is regulated and you need a prescription. And right. I think yep. it's the catch-22, right, because now – you know, fitness professionals who don't may not know anything can, you know, talk about supplements, recommend possibly. It's just kind of a gray area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the flip side is you have some people who are more educated in that, say like uh, your average physician. They're educated as a physician, but, you know, ask most physicians how many classes you took on even nutrition and exercise, and it's like, you know, a few hours, you know. Right. So they're not necessarily bad they're just not trained in it and there's guys and gals who have done that outside extra training and that type of thing um, yeah. but even in my case i have a phd in exercise phys most of my research is in metabolism but i get lots of weird questions and crap from people that are like but you can't really recommend that and i've been you know declined to speak at certain conferences to talk about nutrition and exercise because i'm you know not a registered rd and that type of thing even though i was just presenting you know, here's the research on the topic. I'm not making diagnosis. I'm not trying to write up plans for dialysis patients. You know, I'm just saying, hey, here's what the research shows. Um, and it just gets to be a whole big, messy gray area where some people who are perceived to be educated are probably not as educated as people think. And other people who are educated may not have certain, you know, regulations or certifications or whatever, you know, to do certain things. Yeah. Right. Hey, I just found something online. It um, it says, let's see. Um, it's about dietary supplements. It says, Durbin will introduce the Dietary Supplement Labeling Act to improve the information available to consumers. So he's a Democrat. Uh, and to curb the prevalence of drinks and foods that are masquerading as dietary supplements as a means of avoiding reviews and regulation by the FDA. So, yeah, that kind of goes back and forth. You know, this is Democrats looking for sort of leaning on the regulation side of it. Uh, was it Hatch that did the, ultimately, the uh, DSHEA? Yeah, Maybe it was. I can't remember now. Uh, Orrin Hatch, Republican from Utah. Uh, yeah, I think I, it was Utah. I believe. I right, yeah. So, anyway... Uh, Interesting how that goes back and forth. And like I said, you think politics have nothing to do with lifting, but then they affect dietary supplements. They affect your scope of practice, you know, and it comes to that sort of thing. Because, again, licensure 
anything related to healthcare, that's licensed, that's written into state laws. That's not the same thing as certifications. Uh, anyway. Um, and one quick and point on that, too, is that the licensure and all that stuff can actually change per county and per state. So, for example, the county that I'm in, in the state of Minnesota, I'm actually, quote-unquote, allowed to touch clients in terms of guided exercise practice. And that's literally all it says. So, I mean, I've done some training on, you know, real simple hands-on stuff, you know, not painful or anything like that. I rarely ever do it, to be honest, because I think having them move is a much better way, guided mobility, all that kind of stuff. Um, but technically, if I'm cueing a client or I'm, you know, holding tissue in a specific orientation while they're actually moving, I'm not laying people down on a massage table and doing 90 minutes of hands-on stuff, where I'm at is technically legal, but you could go to a different, even county in Minnesota, where that is a lot more of a gray area. So even touching a client to say, okay, I want you to pull back to this location, you know, sometimes falls in that gray area too, which makes it real murky. Yeah, I had a student ask me uh, just this fall uh, about massotherapy and some of the, you know, uh, different types of careers and licensure and yeah. i actually pointed him to our old episode with keith Scheiman, yeah uh who uh i believe he's in wisconsin uh if i remember right and uh keith is a strength coach but he's also a licensed massotherapist you know so if you really want to go that route uh i don't think we're talking about five years of medical school you know to be able to do that uh it might be something some people if you really wanted to go in that direction that'd probably be a nice augmentation to your practice i would think yeah, you know, if I actually looked at that to do it just to cover myself from a, a legal standpoint. And I had all the, the schooling, I had all the classes, but there's several hundred hours of volunteer work you have to do, at least in Minnesota, to be a licensed mm -hmm. massage therapist. And that, I see. Oh man, that was, yeah, I just don't have that time to commit to something that's not, you know, the main part of my practice either, you know, so. But well, yeah, let me I definitely agree with you. Your thoughts, uh, Phil, and Mike too, of course, but Mike and I were talking before I hit the record button today that my university actually does not have uh, very good health care, in my opinion. Um, the premiums are high, you know, the co-pays are, are rough, very rough, uh, And but the point being is uh, I'm almost afraid to lift as heavy as I once did, mm -hmm. you know, because there was a time when I could go pay a $15 copay yeah. and, and get my elbow repaired, get a surgery on my ankle. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Does that ever run into an issue with you? or? Because let's face it, uh, Phil, you said yourself, at a high level, any type of sport is not just about health. But now you're, you're not just worrying about the health aspect. You're worrying about, am I going to go bankrupt because <laughs> I have to have a surgery? You know? Yeah. What do you think about that? Um, as far as like a coaching aspect or personally? Well, both, both, yeah. Well, personally, I mean, I accepted that a long time ago. You know, and hell, I mean, I even had to have these conversations with my wife that I'm married, you know, and make her realize that, you know, I'm not in this world to live to I'm 95. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm here to live my life and live it, you know, and the things I do, you know, the way I eat, the way I train, um, it's going to have its effects on me later in life. Um, but those are things where I sat down honestly with myself and I'm okay with that. You know, I don't mind if I don't live to be 100. You know, I'd love to live to 75 or 80 or, you know, but it's not my goal. You know, my goal is to kick ass as much as I can in this life. And I think, you know, me and Windler talk about this a lot. You know, it's like, you know, what's life worth living? But, uh, 
and things like surgery and stuff, I know that's I, I have them coming up. You know, it's just something I'm gonna have to face. Um, now, from a coaching aspect, again, I have to. I honestly have to approach my clients and talk to them about that. You know, the people that come to me and say I want to compete at a high level, we have to sit down and have that talk. You realize what this is going to mean, you know. And then I have people that they want to compete and have fun, and I have yeah. to program differently, you know, <laughs> which is yeah. fine. I mean, because it's two different things. I mean, if you're serious and there's a time commitment, there's a life commitment, there's a pain threshold commitment, there's everything to do it at a high level, and it's two different things. And very, very small percentage of the population wants that. Um, right. Financial, 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 everything. You know. yeah. uh, there is a, you know, it's a, it's a less than one percent are willing to take that step. And I'll sit down with people and have that talk, you know, and make them realize. Think they want to, they get into it and then they realize they don't. You know, right. Which is well, frustrating as a coach. I mean, and that's where it's hard to find. That's where it's so impressive seeing elite athletes. Because, and it's not the coaching, it's the person, you know, I, I put up a post the other day yeah. that any coach can make you good. It, it's up to you to, to be great. You know, no coach can make you freaking elite. You have to want it yourself too. You know, I can only make you as good as you're willing to be. So. But you can see what I'm saying. If we consider health care a political issue, mm-hmm. and I mean, yeah. it, it's almost unavoidable. I mean, look, in Canada, they have a very different arrangement than we yes. have. You know, uh, even with the Affordable Care Act, I, I, I'm sure there's an interesting discussion there about how Canadians are different. You know, when Rob mm-hmm. needs, Rob needed <laughs> uh, a surgery years ago, and he, and now he might have had to wait for a long time, or he might have got maybe not got quite the level of care mm-hmm. that you might be able to achieve in the U.S. I'm not sure, but the point is. Boom, just done, you know, and I'm like, oh, God, because right now, you know, with the surgical repair of my right elbow, um, something is not mm-hmm. holding <laughs> anymore. And so with my healthcare situation, I can't just go say, oh, let me, I'll just get a $1,200 MRI scan yes. and let's just start fooling around with this because I'm going to have to pay for that mm-hmm. out of pocket. Yes. And when yeah. you start thinking about your wife and your kids, yes. maybe Maybe the small amount of money that I've put away in a nest egg for a health care account sort of emergency mm-hmm. fund, I'm at my age with my goals, I'm reticent to go spend thousands upon thousands uh, when maybe I can wait and just try to do a little bit of rehab myself yes. and let it scar down. Maybe. Oh, yeah, I do a lot of that. I mean, <laughs> I know. I'm talking to a guy who's needed a hip replacement for five years. You know, right. The doctor told me five years ago, yeah, knees replaced, but he's like, you know, Five years from now, it'll still need a new place. So just deal yeah. with it, you know, as long as you can. And right. yeah, there's a lot of that. I see a lot of that with lifters. I mean, shoot, I don't know. I don't know a high level guy that isn't dealing with something. Right. You know. Yeah. And you know what? As long as the functionality is there, I mean, as far as like scar tissue and some crunching sounds and some pain that I can handle with uh, ibuprofen, I'll just swallow that. You know, I'll deal with that. But loss of function can't. That's freaking me out. You know what I mean? Like right now, my right arm, I always called it my robo-elbow, Mike knows this, because it was like (laughs) invincible. And you know what? But like when we had um, Rich Colasante on recently, those surgical repairs are not forever. You know, they're not meant to be forever. And so I have to just be careful about how I'm dealing with this, you know, but at least being a doctorally trained physiologist, I know I'm going to give myself a couple of weeks for some scar tissue to sit in, then I'm going to do some light rehab, and I'm not just going to go start piling, you know, 200 pounds on an easy curl bar and start trying to do hit heads 
and tear something free, you know. I think a lot of those people fall through the cracks and end up at their local trainer who may not have a skill set at all. And, you know, unfortunately, for better or worse, I work with a fair amount of, you know, clients that are, you know, somewhat banged up. You know, and it's like, yeah, by all means, if you can find a good physical therapist, you know, go in. But it's just like, ah, my shoulder is kind of this or that. It's not a complete, utter loss of function. It's just something that's more annoying. And then you talk to them, and they're like, well, but, man, if I go in, you know, my you know, insurance, which they have, is a deductible now of three to $5,000. So it may yeah. cost me, by the time I'm done with physical therapy and everything, a couple thousand dollars. And they're just like, I don't want to do that now. But then they're asking you, of like, well, what can I do to make this better? You know, and it's, uh, again, you're back to the kind of in-between area. And so... Yeah, I do some stuff that's basically just specific types of exercise. You know, hopefully that function in their joint will get better. I'm not trying to diagnose, you know, they had a you know labral tear or whatever. Yeah. I don't freaking know. I don't really care per se either. Mm-hmm. But if I can get them to move better, I know if their pain goes away, their lifts are going to go up, mm-hmm. their performance is going to go up, all those things. Um, so it, I think you're going to see that sort of in-between area just keep expanding because it you know, go to any like trainer conference and ask trainers, right, who are people trained in the field, you know, how many of them have been injured and it's almost like ninety percent. Yeah. You know, so uh-huh. it's just it's it just happens. Yeah, a big part well, of like, being a coach too is I mean, workarounds. I have so yeah. many clients I have to do. Yeah. You know, I might have a workout on the board, but this person can't do that. So what are we gonna do? Yep. You know, I have multiple knee reconstructions and friggin' hips and elbows and shoulders and yeah. you know, it's it's finding what can work with I mean, I have one kid who's a uh a raw power lifter and we have him benching in a shirt because he has a jacked up shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it allows us to train hard with no pain. You know. <laughs> so yeah, that's where I think the role of the strength coach is very important. So, you know, there's the physical therapist involvement, but then ultimately you're going to the, – the PT is only going to get insurance paying for so many, mm-hmm. you know, sessions, and he's got to hand the baton to the strength coach. Well, and you can't you know, quit uh, moving. I mean, it's been proved from yeah. – I mean, what, Z Health was built around that. It's like keep moving. You know, you can't get yeah. injured and just, okay, I'm going to sit down. That's not going to help anything, yeah. you know. Attest to this too that high, I've told people at a high level and like if you have someone who comes in with say of a shoulder that kind of hurts either do the opposite of that right mm-hmm. so look at their left leg do some stuff there yeah. or like you said if you don't even know anything just do a bunch of stuff that doesn't, doesn't have hurt. them move into pain <laughs> yeah. and in my experience just telling them you follow up and you know anecdotally 50% of the time their pain just sort of went away. Mm-hmm. You know, but people go in and like, well, I keep working my right shoulder, and man, it keeps hurting. Well, yeah. probably stop doing that. Number one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, we could make this whole show about healthcare, probably. Uh, and again, you know what? I'd love to see feedback on our Facebook page from people from Britain and Australia, and you know, how are they dealing with this? You know what I mean? Because it almost seems, I don't know debilitating in a way when you can't train your ass off you can't be quite because yeah. i mean i i used to do some pretty reckless things to myself yeah. you know and now with a family and with the the health care i really look at healthcare like a bubble i mean my mom had a lung function test done like two years ago and it's like twelve hundred dollars and I, you know meanwhile we can do that in the x-phys lab you know you blow into a tube mm-hmm. you know yep. this is ridiculous yeah. 
And I think this kind of bubble <laughs> is going to burst. It's like the housing bubble that we had here in the States that burst, I think. But the yeah. point being is, uh, yeah, I don't want to go too far because I want to touch on one more issue with you guys. And that's, you know, when uh, when politics sort of creeps into the, the gym, like I said, I saw on the board all this talk about, you know, very viciously pro and con Obama, you know. Mm-hmm. And But the point is, you start to get different people with different value systems, you know, different – I mean, you could – this is quite different. I know it's not a political platform, but they get different value systems in the gym, and then they're having to come together and compromise mm-hmm. in order to coexist, you know. And so I was touching on the way that the Olympic lifters, uh, they're invading the powerlifting room, you know. So we have a back room, and the yeah. bodybuilders and the powerlifters always were, were all good back there. But now there's a huge area of, like, kettlebells that I trip over, and there's – the people that <laughs> that are using the power platform, you know, uh, and they're they're always, you know, like I said, they have a very uh, not all of them, but some of them have this very arrogant sort of, you know, they're looking down on the bodybuilders and the powerlifters, like I'm an athlete, I don't know what it is you mm. you chumps are doing, you know, and uh, honestly, I really want to ask some of them, really, so what level of competition have you achieved success? Yeah. Because I bet it's zero. <laughs> I bet it's zero. But do you see that? Uh, let's, Mike, let's ask you real quick. So you train more on an individual basis, right? So do you see any kind of value changes that people just – you just got to sort of come to a compromise? Yeah, I mean I don't see too much of it probably just because I try to remove myself from pretty much all of it. Um, but the stuff I do see in general, I think is a little bit more, it goes back and forth. I think now, like you're saying, Lonnie, the bodybuilders and power lifters are probably a little bit more cozy than they were a while ago. And then now it's more, you know, sport training or Olympic lifting or CrossFit or whatever is, well, we're off in our own, you know, little world here. But if you go back in like, um, the early physical culturists and stuff, you know, the 1950s and before, and I mean, all those guys were, they were doing hand balancing, gymnastic stuff, Olympic lifting, bodybuilding, powerlifting, you know, early strongman stuff. And they all just hung out and trained together yep. and wasn't really a big deal, you know. And I think that's kind of how it, in my opinion, should be now. Yes. You know, if I obviously have my bias in what I want to do for my own training. But, you know, with clients, I just ask them and say, you know, what is your goal? And my Phil said this multiple times, you know, the job of the coach is to get that person to their goal. You know, if I have people that work with that want to compete at the CrossFit Games, then that's that's cool. You know, if that's what they really want to do and they understand it's a competition and all that kind of stuff. Um, So I think a lot of times it comes down to what is their goals. And, you know, it's just a lot of it, I think, sometimes is just people want to be in sort of the cool club. And it's like Mm -hmm. the, you know, don't play in my sandbox type thing. And. The reality is it's not it's not that different, right? You're all picking stuff up. You're yeah. the moves are different, but they're in the big picture to me, it's they're not that different from each other. So things have specialized so much, unfortunately. Yeah. I because you know, yeah, in those sort of muscle beach kind of days, uh, I don't think any of those bodybuilders would want to be said all you know, hey, you're all show and no yeah. go. They'd be like, yeah. bullshit, watch me walk on my, hop up and down on one hand upside down, yeah. you know, stuff yeah. like that. Well, that used to be and part now, of the competition. You know, yeah. you know, they split up bodybuilding oh, right. years ago as physique only, and that was like a big change because before it was, that was not the deal. You yeah. had some type of performance you had to do mm-hmm. also. 
Yeah, when you're one group, there's less conflict. And let me give you a definition of politics. I'm looking just uh, on Google. It says debate or conflict among individuals or parties hoping to achieve power. And so, you know, you can see as a general definition that does apply to what I'm talking about in the gym. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Because you guys, you know, the the Olympic lifting guys, and again, which were not really there before so much. I mean, through the 80s and 90s anyway, and early 2000s. Um, the bodybuilders didn't have to accommodate those guys, but whether it's because of CrossFit or just uh, Olympic lifting in general, the popularity or strongman or some of these other more athletic things, uh, you know, you get these almost factions having to say, okay, I'll try to do my snatches over here. I'll back up five feet if I can squeeze in while you squat. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, there is that sort of come to a compromise mm-hmm. to make things work. I don't know, Phil, now you obviously have a facility it's so, totally built around exactly that, you know, and that's you know when I <laughs> when I started my place, that's what it was about, um, and it was from from spending time overseas because you get here in the states and it is very it, it's secular, you know, you've got little group. It's like this gym, we do this, you know, you you walk into CrossFit and what do they do? They do CrossFit. If you're not doing CrossFit, you're frowned upon. I've been in a lot of those places. Same thing. You go to an Olympic lifting club, you do Olympic lifting. If you want to power lift, mm-hmm. you're stupid, you know, you're just strong and 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 slow. Exactly. Um, yeah. And that was, you know, I, I spent time overseas then. It was like, wow, we're all training together. That's what I want to build. And so internally at my place, I don't see that. I see Olympic lifters cheering on power lifters, cheering on crossfitters, cheering on Highland Games athletes. But it's because I have, I have forged that, you know, from, from day one. Um, now we'll, that's not saying we won't, we'll, we'll fire shots at each other. Um, but it's all in fun, okay. you know. Right. And it's usually like the CrossFitters will come in and they'll bring in some weird meme that they printed off talking crap on themselves, you know, <laughs> and they'll put it on the wall. And we all have a good laugh about it, you know. And the thing yeah. is, if somebody gets a little too serious about it, it's like, okay, come over here and beat me in my own sport then. You know, if, if one of the power lifters is, you know, talking on the Olympic lifters, okay, go snatch more than he is. You know, you, you can't do it, so shut up. You know? yeah. I think you're lucky because as the the guy who owns the facility, you can set it up where there's not competition yes. for scarce resources. Exactly. And it, at, at my gym, there is that competition for, you know, there's like one or two decent mm-hmm. squat racks, yeah. and they're right next to the power platform. Yeah. And let's face it, if you want to deadlift off that platform, you're going to wait in line behind five of these new, uh, you know, hopeful Olympic mm-hmm. lifter guys while they – fool around with snatches with long rest periods and you know they're doing oh, all yeah. this stuff and so there's only one power platform so which is exactly i think it, yeah exactly i've you know, set it, it up to to accommodate that yeah you know, i've got yeah. five platforms just for olympic lifters i've got a deadlift platform over here you can deadlift on the olympic lifting platforms you can you know here's the eight squat racks and monolift <laughs> so yeah. but i no, i've definitely seen it traveling across the country from being in you know olympic lifting is classically very very bad at it um, they're very elitist, yeah. a lot of the coaches. Uh, lifters a little bit too, but it's been fed into them by the coaches that were the real athletes, you know? Right. Um, right. It's lightening up a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's very, very elitist. Um, and I can CrossFit see that is too. certain individuals. Um, yeah, it's sometimes you get the especially cocky, because let's face it, all strength sports, they tend to draw in people who – or maybe a little more aggressive, yeah. some of them cocky, you know, and I mean, there is a kid, I mean, I look at this guy, you know, he's like just old enough to grow a beard, so he's very excited about that, you know, and he's, <laughs> he's looking down at everybody like, you know, I'm special, I'm here to train for something, and you guys are just, 
you know, you're like these blue collar, ignorant, you know, chumps. And, and I look at this kid, I think, first of all, you have no idea. I have a doctorate in this shit. (laughs) Secondly, you know, you're small. (laughs) I mean, you're really skinny. (laughs) And so not that I'm some huge behemoth, not at all. But the point is, you know, some of these guys, because it is more skill oriented, not all these guys at a, a local level, they don't really look like much at all. You know, yeah. I mean, at a high level, yeah, these guys are really jacked. You know what I mean? But I don't know. And, and it's that sort of judgment, you know, and that competition for scarce resources and stuff where uh, I I really like the idea, Phil, that you're able to, from a literally from like a structural, uh, physical, mechanical standpoint, set up your gym so we can go back to that sort of muscle muscle mentality, yeah. you know, the uh, – Muscle beach mentality. Well, and they've you know? also been, I mean, my clients from day one are kind of, they're, they're brought into an atmosphere where they see that somebody's going for a snatch PR. All the power lifters stop what they're doing and, and watch them and cheer for them, you know, and vice yeah. versa, you know. <laughs> so that just, it just feeds itself now. It's like I don't even have to try. It just, the, the members themselves help me do it. But, uh, but I think that no. all goes back to the culture that you set up. Yes, right? exactly. So you said, this is the culture that I want to replicate. Yep. And by virtue of doing that, I'm going to arrange, you know, the platforms in this. I'm going to yep. have this equipment over here. And, and it's its I, own little I don't know now. that a lot of people, yeah, starting places or even working in certain places even think about what kind of culture they want. And yeah. I think that's one thing CrossFit has done, for better or worse, really good at creating a culture and a system. Oh, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, though, that's the main thing they've done is created culture. I mean, that's what, I mean, yeah. and it's sad. I've, I've been to a lot of CrossFit gyms, and it's like if you're not doing, there's a lot of them out there that if you're not doing exactly what they're doing, you're not part of the cool kids. Oh, you know, yeah. if you want to, yeah. like, if you want to get stronger, well, you're not doing what we're doing, eh. And, you know, that's what, it goes back to that. I went to a powerlifting meet. It was the first one. SPF started that, the CrossFit classification in their powerlifting meets, so which mm. I never got, but I, it, it attracted you know, CrossFitters just lifting against CrossFitters doing powerlifting. Sure. And some kid is like, oh, the fit guys get to go. You know, oh, yeah, the fit guys are lifting now. The fit guys are, the fit guys are lifting before the fat guys. I was like, dude, that fat guy, his deadlift <laughs> opener is bigger than your total. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Time to oh, shut God. up, you know. And, uh, yeah. Well, and you see, that's where it becomes like – Again, almost like factions yeah. or p- political parties yes. that are vying for something. You know what? That's that's an attempt at culture gone wrong. It is because they they try to yeah. bring in the CrossFitters and let them do their own thing, but they they allow that sort of segregation and yeah. separatism and when you know it, that wasn't the idea. Like I'm talking about setting up the physical facility to foster this. Yeah. And Mike, you've got a really good point. It, it, you got to have some leadership. That the culture here's the culture, and you know yeah. what? That's a good that's a good business model, is it not? Because then it you is. can have all the lifters yeah. come to your place. Yeah, I don't. It's know. kind yeah. of it's it's a scary one. I mean, because everybody tells you find a niche and pick it and own it. Yep. My niche is everybody. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's tough. Yeah. But it's everything athletic. You know, I don't. I deal. I'm dealing with a couple people in physique now, but by far majority, I'm I'm dealing with with people that want to compete in something. Well, Phil, you have a, a niche in that. In fact, one of my students said this when I asked you to guest lecture for one of my other classes last year. He said, so um, that's pretty broad base of clientele, but it's a it's a barbell focus. Is oh, that yeah. fair to say? And I said, yeah, that's yeah, fair to say. it definitely is barbell you know. focus. And it's yeah. you're going to come in and you're going to learn the barbell lifts. And yeah. usually, I mean, uh, you're going to learn to compete. Um, 
I don't, we've only got like three clients and they're new that haven't competed. And I'm talking people up to like, like I've got 65 year old ladies that, Hey, I want to do it. They finally just, I let them pick on their yeah. own. I want to do a competition. Sweet. Let's That's do fun. It. That is fun. You know, yeah. and it's, you know, generally I get everybody to compete into something. Yeah. You know? And they, they realize. I think even if you're a trainer, you should, you should compete. I mean, oh, I, yeah. to be honest, I don't, I love training for strongman stuff, but I don't, personally like the day of competition but mm-hmm. i know that it gives me the mindset at least at a small level of what people are competing and the little things you learn along the way and the stress yeah. and all that kind of stuff yep so to me it's worth it just for the experience i mean i'm oh, yeah. going to be at a high level and that's yep. fine um but it's yeah it's definitely different but i think it's it's a it's a good way as long as you like you were saying at the beginning of this, determine ahead of time what cost are you willing to pay. Yes. You know, and that's going to be different. Like, I I like being pain-free, and if that means that it's going to catch me on certain lifts, I'm not going to lift as much, that's all right. Yep. You know, but I think people need to be aware of that and determine, like you were saying, ahead of time, what cost are you willing to pay for X amount of performance. Yep, So exactly. And number one is just, I mean, go have fun. You know, yeah, and whatever level you want to do, it should be fun. And most of the people at every, I mean, every meet I've ever been to, even just attending, I mean, you know, strongman's that, you know, that way, CrossFit, you know, powerlifting, whatever, Olympic lifting, you know, especially at the local level, I'm, I've rarely ever seen anything that was, you know, there's guys cheering for someone else to beat their time. Yeah, exactly. Which is, to me, is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So just to bring this back to the, the, topic uh and to wrap up here um you know yeah there are different people with different goals and that sort of thing and so not only is government having their influence even on our subculture you know of lifters in general but uh i think at least in my opinion politics is supposed to work (laughs) and you know in other words some kind of compromise you know i'm more conservative you're more liberal let's vote on it and have some respect for the the vote determines the outcome mm-hmm. you know and unfortunately i think often it, politics breaks down but uh, at least we can do it better on our own level you know on a smaller scale in the gym you know come to some kind of compromise and hopefully yeah you got a gym owner or a coach who can yeah. set the culture and the physical parameters where there's not as much conflict yeah. i guess so all right well good conversation yeah, that's fun yeah <sighs> good times hi guys until next week yeah yep Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.